0: Morning Crosswalk, morning. how we doing? I'm so proud of you for coming on time. I had nightmares all week, like nobody's gonna come, it's all gonna be messed up and everything, so, so thank you, uh, it's so exciting to be here uh, and, and to be at 10 and 11.30, uh, it's a little earlier than normal, so hopefully you woke up okay, you were in good spirits, you got your coffee quickly, probably the most important thing. Um, I mean, besides meeting with Jesus this morning. Coffee, Jesus, coffee, Jesus, coffee. Um, So, we are glad you're here. If you've been coming, uh, if this is your home and you've been coming on a weekly basis, you know, uh, and and Megan said this a little bit, um, you know that we are not busting at the seams in this room. We have a lot of space in this room. We could even add lots more chairs, but we're not busting at the seams in a place to have, like we have to have two services. Um, But we have made the decision to head back into two services uh, for very missional reasons. And let me tell you that. At Crosswalk, we are a community of belonging first and foremost. And because of that, we want to make sure that we provide this community as often as possible for as many as possible. Which means um, that we hope this is a place that is meaningful for you. And we hope that as you experience that, that you will invite others You invite people to come and be a part of this place and this community. Um, But it's easier to make a decision on changes like this when you make that decision based on your mission instead of your preference. If we made decisions based on our preferences, we would change our minds every six months. And I've been in places that did that and it's frustrating to build momentum because it's changing all the time. So not only are we a community of belonging, I wanted to read to you a part of a statement Uh, about who we are, who we feel called to be, and the kind of culture we think we're supposed to cultivate, all right? So um, we are at our best when we bring people in, those who might not have access or understanding, and challenge them to go, do, see, and love well for themselves. And then we challenge them to bring someone else along too, so invite others. We're artists, translators, Trailblazers, creatives, seekers, awakeners, and proudly unique. That's specifically a Portland line. Proudly unique. But most of all, we're door openers, inviting anyone who walks by inside so that we can learn and grow together. That is who and what we feel called to be. And so that is why we are opening our doors wide and often for as many as possible. Um, So thank you for making that adjustment. We hope you'll invite friends and Since you've driven all this way to come out today, we hope you'll stick around a little while too. After church, we have some, after service, we have some discussion opportunities. We have one right now across the hall where you can dive deeper into the sermon series. That's led by Scott Carlson, and he'll bring on some other uh, facilitators. It's a conversation like a connect group. It's a great place to just stop by. If there are other groups that you'd like to get started, maybe a parent's group, maybe who knows what, um, we would love to talk with you about that because we want to have more of those conversations and continue to build. Community. So that's what this change is all about, and we are excited to have you on the journey with us. Thank you uh, for making those important adjustments. So, with that said, I am super excited to jump into the sermon series that we are doing, and we've entitled it Unbroken. Over the next five weeks, we're going to jump into a topic that statistically not many churches try and tackle. And I'm sure that's for a variety of reasons, right? Several sites suggest that mental health is at the top of the list of what churches typically don't talk about. The other two of those, so mental health is number one. The second one is sex and sex-related issues. And the third one is questions about faith and beliefs, okay? Um, So here at Crosswalk, we are not afraid to have the tough conversations because we think church should be the safest place to ask questions, It should be the safest place to take risks, and it should be the safest place to be vulnerable, which is what we're gonna talk about today. And thinking about those top three topics that I just mentioned, I mean, we just spent 10 weeks on deconstructing and reconstructing your faith, which is questions about faith and beliefs, and then we're gonna spend the next five weeks on mental health, so I would guess you want to look at the calendar and see when we're gonna talk about sex. Not on the schedule. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Uh, But maybe it will be. You never know what's going to happen at Crosswalk. Uh, But why are we too often afraid to talk about the tough stuff, what's really going on in our lives, right? Maybe it's because we're afraid of what the answers might be. Maybe we're afraid there are no answers, Maybe we're afraid that when you really dig into the scriptures and you really seek God, that maybe we won't find answers for some of the toughest things that we face on a day-to-day life. And if we can't, then what is all this for anyway? So for this series, we're going to begin today by talking about some of the myths of mental health and faith. For those of you that are new to our community or just visiting for the first time, I'll share some of my own journey with mental health to give you with mental health to give you perspective and hopefully model vulnerability, which is something I hope we can all do. And over the coming weeks, we're gonna also talk about anxiety, we're gonna talk about depression, we're gonna talk about suicide, and we're gonna talk about mental health and demon possession. About time. <laughs> Nice. Uh, So buckle up, folks. It's going to be a good series. Now, let me do, there is a caveat, is that the weekend that we were technically slated to talk about mental health and demon possession is our anniversary weekend. (laughs) So we're going to skip that one. Uh, And we're going to talk about that for Campus Day. So when we would typically have Campus Day for us, uh, which will be the week after the series ends, is when we'll talk about demon possession and mental uh, health. Um, That weekend for our anniversary weekend, we are super excited. We're going to have the uh, Oregon Conference President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is going to be with us. We have a special ceremony of dedication. We're actually going to sit around a table um, like the President, Tim Gillespie, and I did in March of 2020. And we're going to talk about what our hopes and dreams were then before all this happened and what God has done over the last couple of years as we celebrate God's movement in this church. But why address mental health now? Well, we've known for a long time that mental health um, has been becoming more and more of a challenge in our culture, especially for the younger generations. But the pandemic added to this exponentially, and we're still figuring out what all this means. First, we have to define what we mean when we talk about mental health. For our purposes, a simple definition of mental health is a state of mental well-being that enables a person to cope with the stresses of life, realize their abilities, learn well and work well and contribute to their community. Now, I found some statistics about the state of our mental health in in the US in and through the pandemic, but we have to recognize that we are still figuring out the impact of the pandemic. But according to recent studies, 41% of adults have experienced high levels of psychological distress at some point during the pandemic. 37% of high school students, 58% for those 18 to 30. However, I just heard a study done this week by the Fuller uh, Seminary that says that for those 18 to 30 emerging adults, it's actually 75%. And we have to look at these numbers and recognize that in mental health, numbers are often underreported. So this is lower than what is probably actually happening. And as always is the case, we have to recognize that, um, yeah, that with mental health, it's underreported. But in the church world, you might think things are doing better, right? I mean, after all, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of these should help with mental health, with loneliness, fear, depression, anxiety, and so on. But in some cases, the numbers of those struggling with mental health who profess faith are worse. Probably because of the stigma of, well, like, if I had good faith, I wouldn't have mental health, and so I don't want to share that because, ugh. I found an interesting study this week done by Lifeway Research that found that 23% of pastors acknowledge they have personally struggled with a mental illness, but only 49% of pastors say, or 49% of pastors say they rarely or never speak to the congregation about mental illness. It's interesting. We're so scared to come out of the darkness and to come out of hiding. So we're here to speak about those struggles that we sometimes keep secret, or the ones we're embarrassed to let out, or the ones that are holding us back from experiencing the life that Jesus died to give us. We're doing this series in hopes of a few things. I'm going to name two of them specifically. We want to help debunk some of the myths that surround faith and mental health. We unpack these myths more in the series guide. I encourage you to listen to the series guide um, or to read it, download a PDF copy. We also have just started a new podcast called The Sacred Echo, and that is a weekly conversation between the teaching team at Crosswalk, which right now includes Pastor Tim Gillespie, which is our teaching pastor for Crosswalk, Dave Ferguson, the lead pastor at Crosswalk Chattanooga, and myself. Um, and so it's a weekly diving in to this sermon series. So go on, it's on Apple, it's on Spotify, it's on our Crosswalk app, and you can listen to that. Um, but the myths include things like, only some people have disorders. That's a myth, right? Disorders, I heard someone define once as just how you and I have learned to adapt to a broken world. It's how we've learned to adapt to a broken world. And some of those methods are not good. And so we need help to figure out how to come out of those. Uh, Another myth is you must be the only one struggling. This is one the devil loves to put on us, right? Because if he can make us think that we're the only ones, then he's got us. Another one is everyone else, this is tied to the other one, everyone else seems to have it all together. This becomes worse with social media. We compare all the things that we know about ourselves to all the things we don't know about someone else right? I'm going to say that one again because that one's been meaningful for me. We compare all the things we know about ourselves to all the things we don't know about somebody else, to the way they present themselves. And we think, man, that, if I could just be like that person because they have it all together. Not true. Or how about just pray more, have more faith, and let it go, right? It's another myth. And I'll say it that way because You'll learn in my own mental health struggle that when I was at the worst of my struggle, if somebody wins someone, it happened plenty of times, it would come up to me and just say, just have faith, just trust God, just let it go, that in the midst of my mental health struggle, saying that to me was like saying to me, grow another arm or another leg. I couldn't do it. I wanted to do it and I couldn't do it and honestly, it just added to my shame and embarrassment. And then, of course, there is the dangerous thinking that, comes, one book, one pill, or one prayer will fix everything, right? We think, and we want that. We want the one fix. Wouldn't that just be so much easier? Wouldn't it be easier if your pastor just said the magic words, and then suddenly everything made sense? My wife would love that. Um. So, all of these are myths that we hope to debunk over the course of our time together um, and recognize that we are all broken in some way or another. We are all in need of each other, and we all are in desperate need of Christ and a good mental health plan. So, uh, secondly, we hope to do this. We want to help create spaces that are safe to be vulnerable, to share with one another when life isn't going so well, and to receive help and support along the way. So with all that said, allow me to share my own story with you. But as I've said, I've shared it with our community before, but I know not all of us were here uh, when I did that, so this will be the condensed version of the story, and as we go throughout this sermon series that I'll be preaching most of, um, that we will, uh, I'll I'll continue to share and unpack things from my perspective and experience. Side note, if you ever want to sit down for coffee or a smoothie and learn more about my story or talk about these things, like please let me know. I'm more than happy. I feel in part that I survived the worst of my own mental health struggles so that I can help other people with theirs, um, especially from a spiritual perspective. So um, about 17 years ago now, I went through one of the toughest times of my life. Though I had always struggled with anxiety on some level or another, there were certain events that happened in the course of my life that propelled me to struggle exponentially. Struggle so much to where I was losing sleep, struggle so much that I couldn't eat and I was losing weight and my mind was racing all the time. And I had these impending fearful thoughts that man, at any second, I'm going to be found out as a fraud. At any second, I'm going to lose everything that I hold dear. At any second, I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my job. And all these things were happening. And one of my challenges was I had started a new job where I was asked to be the spiritual guide and pastoral care and discipleship for over 2,000 people. And I felt so overwhelmed overwhelmed and then embarrassed and, and, and with shame because of my struggle. How in the world could I care for anyone else when I couldn't hold it together myself? At first, I thought, well, maybe it's just the job. I, I need a different job, something that's less stressful. And then in a moment of incredible clarity, I thank God for, I had this thought that said, no, it wasn't the job, it was me. It was me that needed to be worked on. Tricia, my incredibly supportive, courageous, and wise wife, was with me in this battle, but besides her, my mom, who's also a a healthcare professional, and uh, one of my closest friends, no one else knew about my struggle for months. For months, I desperately tried to hide it because I was afraid of what people would think of me if they knew, but trying to hide it was exhausting. Trying to pretend you're something you're not took every ounce of energy that I have. And as I've shared before, our secrets keep us sick. That's why I want to make sure we have a place and we cultivate a place where we have no secrets. After a time, thanks to some godly intervention, that again, it's one of my favorite stories, but I couldn't hide my struggle anymore. I came home, yeah, I'm going to tell it. So um, no, it, it was just such a meaningful moment for me because um, most people just fly by, you know, you're doing the whole thing, hey, how are ya? I'm good, how are ya? I'm good, and you go on about life. Interestingly enough, there's a difference between saying how are ya and how are you, right? How are you means, makes the other person think you actually wanna know the answer to that. Um, and so anyway, um, I, I was at uh, the school I was working for, I was in charge of chapel, um, getting ready and I had a panic attack. I went into the back room and I just, I called Trisha and I said, I've got to get out of here. I can't take this. I can't do this anymore. I want to leave. But I had to pull it together because I was in charge of the program. And so I did my best to pull it together. I came out from behind the stage uh, just before things were about to start and a student came up to me who I knew and the student said, are you are you okay? And I shook it off, right? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Just, just stressed, you know, a lot of things going on. And you would expect that to be the end of it. But at the end of the service, as everybody else is leaving, that student came up to me, grabbed my shoulders, looked at me in the eye and said, are you sure you're okay? Because I don't believe you are. I call him my angel. I couldn't get out what was really going on. Tears filled my eyes and I just said, no, I'm not okay. It was the first time I had said that. And then I went home and I told Tricia, we have got to start sharing this with people. I can't hide it anymore. I can't pretend anymore. I don't know what's gonna happen when we start to share, but I can't pretend any longer. Our secrets keep us sick. And so we decided to call together my colleagues, the people I worked with, which included some of the pastoral staff, some of the school leaders, my chaplain's office team. And we got together and I had written a statement because I didn't think I could just say it without a statement. And we're sitting at a table with all of these colleagues of mine um, and I'm holding Trisha's hand, she's with me, and I read through the statement. And the statement included these words, friends, as of a few months ago, I was diagnosed with a general anxiety disorder And though I am seeking help physically, mentally, and spiritually, I am barely holding it together. Tears fell down both of our faces. And when I finished reading the statement, I looked up. And the expressions my colleagues had on their faces had changed. When we got in the room and we sat down, they had no idea what to expect. Their faces were full of fear and concern. And then after we shared, their faces turned into compassion. That made sense. The second one was relief. That didn't make sense. (laughs) Why are you relieved? Uh, I was confused and then one of my colleagues, the first to respond, she said, so Patty, if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is you're messed up. And I said, "Um, yes. And she said, oh, okay, because I am too. And then she started to share what she was going through and the next person started to share what they were going through and on and on and on around the table it went. Each person sharing their struggles, each person expressing their love and everyone in that room promising to hold each other up through their battles. You see, each of us has something we struggle with. Whether it's a mental health issue, or finances, or bad choices of some kind or another, or fear of the future, or a broken relationship, or an abusive relationship, we've all got something. Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. When you go to a church where people like really like dress up in suits and stuff, and if you're here in a suit, we welcome you. We're super excited you're here. Um, but when you go to those, I often uh, will tell people in that situation, like, look, even the best dressed people still have holes in their socks right? Or holes in other parts of their, I won't say. Um, But we all have something, right? And this space, church, these people, this should be the safest place to share, the safest place to reach out, the safest place to be vulnerable. For me, honestly, this experience with my colleagues was the first time in my life where I truly felt like I experienced church as it was meant to be, a group of broken people holding on to each other, offering each other prayer, encouragement, and a helping hand as we journey together after Christ. Now that was the beginning of a road toward healing for me, but the road was long. Two and a half years, my struggle was intense, with days that I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. And we'll talk about that uh, when we get to suicide. But by the grace of God, and with the help of an incredible therapist, one of the best doctors I have ever had, My pastor and spiritual mentor, a supportive community, and a loving family, I experienced a lot of healing in my life. But let me just be clear about the tools we use for healing. I am a pastor. I am not a mental health professional. It's good to know your limits. I can listen to your story, pray with you, share my story with you, and hopefully give you some spiritual perspective, but I cannot be the only person on your mental health care team. Mental health is always something you have to address on every level. Mentally, with a therapist. Physically, with a doctor. Exercise, diet, sleep. And spiritually, with a pastor, a mentor, someone you expect. And one of the most common phrases that I hear as a pastor is, well, I haven't had a good experience with counseling. And I get it. That happens. Counseling relationships uh, can be tenuative. They can be uh, something you have to really search for to find the right one. Finding the right counselor isn't easy, but you and your family, if you have a good support system, are your best advocates. We have a few resources on the way out as you go to look at, take a screenshot, and if you're needing a counselor, there's some places to go, but sometimes you have to visit with somebody a few times before you actually settle into a good relationship. Sometimes you have to know what you're looking for. Do you need someone who is just good to talk to, or do you need someone who can diagnose and come up with a plan so that you can heal and get better, right? So. This applies to finding a good physician and the rest of your care team as well. So after two and a half years of intense work with my care team, doing my homework and so on, I woke up one day and I realized that my every thought wasn't about my anxiety. I realized one day that my anxiety no longer had control over me. One day I woke up and I just knew I wasn't consumed by my mental health. But here's the thing. Though I did and do experience much much healing from my past, I still walk with a limp. My anxiety isn't gone. Like Paul, I prayed for God to take the thorn out of my flesh over and over and over again. And I kept getting disappointed when that didn't happen. And then one day, God taught me to pray differently differently. Instead of begging him to take away my anxiety, I prayed for God to help me live with it in a way that brings him glory and honor and praise. And that changed everything. And then I heard the line um, that my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My anxiety causes me to lean that much more on God and my limp Just like Jacob's limp after he spent the night wrestling with God, my limp allows me to listen to and empathize with other people's stories in ways I never could have before I went through my own experience with mental health. Before anxiety got the better of me, I too might have said to another person, just surrender your anxiety to God and let it go. It's not bad advice, but once I experienced extreme anxiety, I know how hard it is to do that. And I know how to talk to someone better than I did before who was struggling with mental health. So my limp or my scars are now marks that I am thankful for as they are reminders not only of my journey, but, what, but of what God has done for me. I truly believe that I survived this time to help other people. One of the metaphors that we talked about for this sermon series is an art form with pottery invented by the Japanese called kintsugi. Um, And kintsugi is an art form that dates back to the 15th century. And in its most basic form, it involves taking a broken piece of pottery and painstakingly putting it back together with a lacquer that is often sprinkled with gold dust. Kintsugi artists tell you that it is very difficult and it is a very delicate process. But the end result is often a vessel that is stronger than it was when it was first made. They say the restored piece also celebrates the whole story of the piece of pottery, cracks and all. One description I found about Kintsugi said this. It says, Kintsugi is an ancient Japanese art form that is a testament to embracing imperfections and finding beauty in repair in a world that often celebrates perfection and discards the flawed. Now, if that's not a definition of grace, I don't know what is. Kintsugi celebrates the scars, they don't try to cover them up, and with the gold lacquer and the careful work of the artist, the piece becomes even stronger. The same could be said about us. We are imperfect, broken vessels, but in the hands of God and with the tools he's given us to care for each other and ourselves, we can be put back together in a way that is even stronger than we were before. And the scars we have are beautiful reminders of how God has worked in our lives, but they also help us connect with other people in very real, very authentic, and very personal ways. Let me give you one final example of this as an, uh, as an image to carry with you through this series, but also with you through life. When Jesus was resurrected, we find this exchange between him and the disciple we often call Doubting Thomas. It says, eight days later, The disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Now, there are all sorts of things for us to consider in this this exchange, but for the purpose of this talk, we'll look at one. Jesus' resurrected body retained his scars from the crucifixion. At least the ones in his hands and his side we know for sure. We don't know about his feet, but we assume so. We don't know about the scars that would have covered 90% of his backside, though, again, I would assume so. But we know Jesus' resurrected body had scars, and we know that in the book of Revelation, when the Apostle John sees Jesus in heaven, Jesus looks as a lamb who was... Slain. So we believe that Jesus retained his scars. Jesus, the holy uncreated one, became created to save us. Jesus, the one who was perfect, will spend eternity with one thing that isn't perfect his own scars. The ones that he was given when he was pierced for our transgressions, when he was crushed for our iniquities, when the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, because it is by his wounds and his scars that we are healed. In a perfect world, when there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain, Jesus still has scars. Those scars exist to remind us of at least two things. One, they remind us of his sacrifice, his love, of all that he went through to save us. And two, they remind us that whatever we're going through, Jesus knows. He knows betrayal. He knows sin. He knows separation, frustration. He knows. He knows what it is to suffer, to feel alone, to be depressed. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus knows. He knows what it feels like to be so anxious that he literally sweat drops of blood. He knows what it is to feel so separated from God that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows. If anyone is safe to go to Jesus, if anyone is safe to go to, it's Jesus. And church, we are His body on this earth, representing His presence, and we should be the safest place for people to go to when they're hurting, the safest place to be vulnerable. And whatever you're going through, Jesus not only knows, but He is with you, even when it doesn't feel like it. His scars with your scars. And if you let Him, He will piece you back together in a way you never thought possible and he will use all the tools at his disposal to do that so crosswalk as we journey through this series called unbroken know this jesus took the scars so he could save you and journey alongside of you and he's called us his body to do the same for each other so let's come out of hiding sharing with each other, journeying together as we reflect on the scars of our Savior. And let us remember that no matter how tough the road we're on is, with Jesus, we never walk alone. Pray with me, would you? Dear Jesus, we, we can't possibly fathom all that you gave up to come to this earth and all that you endured and went through when you were here but we know you have scars to prove it. And we know those scars will be with you through eternity as reminders for us that we are your children and whom you love of all that you did for us, but also to remind us that you know what it's like. You know what it's like to go through what we go through. And Because of that, we are never, ever alone. May we create a space here that is safe to take risks, that is safe to ask questions, that is safe to be vulnerable and help us keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has borne our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities, because it is by your wounds that we are healed. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray these things.